0: The act of creating is both a testament to and a full embodiment of its creator. An actor gives so much of themselves to the role that they're playing. A dancer utilizes every muscle to express an emotion, and a writer pulls from their own life and experiences to create other worlds and powerful stories. And so it is only natural that we often tie our own self-worth and meaning to the success or failure of that creation. Today I'm talking with director-choreographer Al Blackstone, who I had the pleasure of working with a few years back, and he brings us three stories of doubt and uncertainty and aloneness when his own talent as a dancer was questioned, when his value as a director was dismissed. This is an honest conversation on who we really are beyond the labels of actor or artist, and how the idea of making it comes more from ourselves than from the validation of others.
1: Hi, I'm Al Blackstone. I'm originally from Brick, New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. I'm a director choreographer currently living in Sunnyside, Queens.
0: Welcome and thank you so much for joining season six of Why I'll Never Make It, a top 25 theater podcast featuring honest conversations with fellow creatives and three stories from their own life of artistic challenges and personal hardships. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, an actor and singer myself, who knows firsthand the ups and downs we all face. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com, where you can sign up for the Win Me newsletter and learn about upcoming guests and useful artist resources. Again, that's whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, hello, Al. It is so good to have you in person, talking with you face-to-face. Yes,
1: it's amazing to be anywhere in person, but especially here with you. It's very good to see you, and thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's so crazy to be in person now. I mean, uh, auditions are slowly happening in person, but still mostly self-tapes. And so just getting a chance to connect with people is a gift these days.
1: Yes, and to be in in an environment together, a shared environment, is also, I think, a huge part of what makes it special. I'm realizing.
0: I mean the you know, because I, I did acting classes over Zoom, which has its place, you know, because we obviously we we perform on screen, so it, it can have its thing. But yeah, you're right. There's that connection with someone in the room with you, right next to you. You can touch them, you can see them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, before we got started, I asked you for a glass of water and you gave me this beautiful glass and told me that your husband had made it and he took a class and we had this whole experience of getting to know one another better because of the glass that that I drank water from, which is something that just couldn't really happen. I don't think those things don't happen on Zoom, but we're grateful for Zoom as well.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I'm really grateful for the stories that you brought with you today, because I, I think they highlight something that all of us, whether we're dancers, choreographers, or actors like myself, or anything in between, that it's something universal that we all go through. And Your first one actually deals with something that I've had myself when it comes to being a a singer and my voice. You're a dancer, so your body is your instrument. And right now you're going through an injury, a herniation of your neck. And that has kept you from dancing for months now. And in fact, it's completely disrupted your flow of practice and impacted your career, your daily life. I mean, what, what exactly happened with this injury?
1: Yeah. Well, if I'm, if I'm honest and I sort of look back at it, I realized that there were some warning signs, you know, over the last six months or so that I just sort of shook off as just, you know, dancers always have little things going on. Um, but eventually it progressively got worse to the point where I wasn't really able to function, woke up in the middle of the night one night and sort of like needed to go to the doctor immediately. And, um, and so, of course, looking back, it's like, oh, I should have seen this coming. You know, you immediately want to blame yourself because there's not really anyone else to blame in these situations. <laughs> and it feels good to blame someone, I think. But um, but it's been a really challenging time and it's put things into perspective uh, in, a great, in a big way for me because I'm realizing so much of how I process my emotions and how I process just life in general is through dance and being able to dance and also how I see myself. So it's raised a lot of questions and this is an interesting time to be having a conversation with you because I feel pretty raw about it.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like my identity is as an actor, as a singer, your identity is as a dancer, as as Mm -hmm. someone who uses their body. What is it about dance that you feel so connected to that that you identify with it so strongly?
1: Well, I think it's this incredible practice that combines uh, memory and emotion and the body and breath and real time and space and other people and of course music. So f- being able to connect with myself that way and being able to do it or l- lead other people through an experience like that, which is often what I'm doing and teaching has been a part of my really daily life for the last, I mean, I started teaching at 15, but I've been teaching in New York since 2010. So, you know, it's this giant piece that has been sort of removed. I can't I may be able to stand in front of a room, but I can't practice with people. And I think that that, uh, it's just really challenged the way that I see myself, the way I even just feeling in my body. I don't really, it's the kind of injury where I don't feel comfortable ever. (laughs) Mm. So I'm never able to really feel like I'm in my body and fully present physically. In some way I'm present, I guess, but not in the way that I'm used to. So it's a big adjustment.
0: I assume it's brought up a lot of questions as far as, okay, how's the, how long is this going to last? What am I going to mm-hmm. need to get back to how mm-hmm. I was before?
1: Yeah, of, of course. And, and you know, I, I think I always saw myself before. It's like, well, you know, my you, you ask yourself as a dancer, like, well, eventually my body's going to keep changing. It's always changing, but I'm going to keep getting older. So what's going to happen? And I always thought, well, it's my mind, you know, it's my eyes, it's my ears. It's not just that I can do it with my body. Eventually I'll be able to still be effective. Um, and I do believe that that's true. But to sort of be, shoom, you know, put into that position all at once has been, um, yeah, it's been really challenging. And and I'm forced to look at these questions <laughs> much more quickly than I, than I wanted to. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, the pandemic has brought up a lot of those questions for <laughs> yeah. all of us it, it, yeah. anyway. So, I mean, yeah. we're all Add kind of wondering... What's next? What, when am mm-hmm. I going to get back to doing what I want to be doing? Mm-hmm. So I assume that this just even furthered that kind of uh, thought process as far as well, what else can I do?
1: Yeah, well, and who am I? I mean, I, my, my partner always says, you know, he, he always says, like, well, who are you? It's important to know who you are without the doing. But it's like, I, I, I think dance is just so intrinsically, has been my whole life a part of just who I am and and how I express myself and and I've said it many times but but I think the biggest thing is just process my emotions I've in dance I I've been able to if I'm feeling frustrated I can create a piece of choreography even for class that sort of channels those feelings and I've always had a place to put these things and share them with other people so it's been interesting to sort of have to come to feel like I don't have that outlet anymore of taking what I'm going through and making something with it so it's interesting in some ways it's very positive i'm sure i'm learning a lot
0: yeah cuz have you discovered other artistic ways or outlets for you
1: well i love to write and when i was a little boy i always that was always my dream was to be a writer um and i've always journaled and so i'm i've been dabbling a little bit in that and mostly writing about my experience but um i see that that could potentially be a way to similarly channel what i'm feeling and share it with other people in a way that i feel like might be impactful
0: well yeah because your your dances your choreography is writing for the body it's a it's a way of expressing mm-hmm. it's a, it's an arm movement here mm-hmm. as opposed to a period
1: there yeah i've always thought of it that way thank you for for saying that yeah absolutely so now it's like well can i do the same thing <laughs> you know just without the without the body and the music.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, you know, an arm movement can say so much more than maybe a paragraph can.
1: Absolutely. But I also think it's important for me to, to say, probably just even for myself, that being still is good. And if I don't find a way to, you know, replace that experience, I think that's important as well. And, and also will help me empathize with people that aren't lucky enough to have something that they practice that makes them feel that way, because there are so many people that don't. So, you know, I love the opportunity to explore other ways and i will do that because i have to but i also wonder if maybe just the stillness is is equally powerful
0: and so i assume part of this journey is still the the rehab and the recovery to to mm-hmm. try to get yourself physically back
1: to mm-hmm. good. yeah pt and 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 uh, you know, I've been to many doctors and, and tried many different <laughs> therapies and, and things. And it is also wonderful to have the opportunity to be with people who heal for a living. And when I got the diagnosis, I was actually in Mexico for the holidays and my partner's family took me to get an MRI there and I saw a doctor there. And the amount of care and concern and, and love that I felt from not only his family and him, but, but also the doctors that I saw there and that continued coming back here, Yeah, it's, it's been very hopeful to feel to be with people, even the PT who is, I feel isn't really invested in what I'm going through. Yeah, it's there's some beauty in that for sure.
0: It's a small silver lining mm-hmm. in the trouble that is this injury, right?
1: Yeah, and that's their calling, I suppose, you know, the same way that I feel like what I'm drawn to do in many ways is a calling. I think most people in theater especially feel that way, to to see that in other people. And, and I was getting worked on today, actually, and I was explaining, you know, this the, all of these feelings, and she said, well, you know, I, I feel similarly because as a PT, like... Eventually, I'm not going to have the strength in my hands to continue doing this. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've never thought about that, that this is something that you go through as well. You know, I thought I was always so alone in that. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. For us singers, we tend to have a little bit more longevity mm-hmm. than dancers, just because mm-hmm. our voice. But but at the same time, I know that I'm having to adjust and alter certain ways that I create a vowel or hold out a mm-hmm. note or you know. So there's still things that as we grow or whether we're sick or injured, there are things we have to accommodate for. And so, do you find that you're able to accommodate, or is dancing just kind of out of the question right now?
1: Yeah, no, right now it's it's out of the question. Um, but I think there's also I believe the body holds wisdom, and I think it's important for me to look at how I got to this place uh, without blame, right? Without, with being, with grace. But also I think this experience will make me in turn a better leader, a better director, a better better human. going through things like this and coming out the other end. I have two friends who've gone through, her, you know, horrible um, sickness in the last couple of years, and I've just been thinking about them, and they've been my heroes, just thinking about how they've gotten through it and persevered. And it is a part of the life cycle and not something that I was expecting to go through. And I've only been dealing with this for two months, Patrick. I mean, I don't want it to make it sound you know, worse than it is. But in this moment, it really feels, I don't know when it's going to get better. And I don't know when I'm going to return to doing what I was doing before. And so these questions are on my mind.
0: Something you said about the body holding wisdom, it's very interesting that there is, you know, that sense memory that our body has. Mm -hmm. There's trauma that our body Mm -hmm. can hold. I remember I went to physical therapy one time and he was working on my back and he hit this one spot and I started bawling. Mm. I mean, just something Mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It was like holding so much. And have you found that that your body also holds and gives and recedes in that way too?
1: Absolutely. But I think, interestingly, I think, using tension in my work has always been something that I've been really interested in and holding tension and gripping and feeling tension in the body. And <laughs> that's part of, you know, really in some ways, maybe how I got here um, because, but but it is true. There's wisdom. I mean, you're using your hands. You're using your voice. You're, we're using our bodies. It's incredibly vulnerable. And this is the same hand that, you know, held my mom's hand when I was little. It's the same hand that I learned how to tie my shoes. Like those things come with us. I think a lot of times dancers want to become someone else when they dance, but ultimately it's you. You're always yourself and your body and So there's something about going through this that I know that I'll take this experience. I have no choice but to take it with me into my practice when I return.
0: So do you find with this injury kind of stripping away the dance that you are becoming more or you're learning more about yourself?
1: I'm sure I am, but right now it's hard to see it. (laughs) It doesn't feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) Right now I just feel anger and sadness. No, um, yeah, I think it's been really good in many ways. And it's been good for me to, to... realize how much I see myself as what I'm doing Uh, and to be forced to try to see myself outside of that is important.
0: Now you've balanced both being a dancer and choreographer. Do they both bring you joy equally or is there a different aspect to each?
1: I think when I'm dancing it's more in a way selfish because I'm embodying the moment so it's you know I feel so incredibly present, not to say that I don't feel present when I'm watching choreography, but oftentimes if I'm making something on other people, I'm editing or I'm thinking about what I can be doing better. When you're in the moment dancing, of course you're doing that, but you're also just, you're, you're in the moment. So there's something that's a little bit more freeing about that. And I think that's probably the thing that I miss the most.
0: Yeah, I hadn't really thought of it like that. But yeah, when you're doing choreography, obviously you're creating it. So there is that part of it. But then once you've given it to someone else, you have to distance yourself mm-hmm. from it.
1: Yeah, yeah, you give it to them, really. And you sort of step aside and in an ideal situation, I think, you know, the more you can step aside and and let it have its own life, the I think the more, quote unquote, successful it is.
0: Well, that brings us to your second story, and this goes back to whenever you were 17 Mm -hmm. and you were entering NYU as a freshman dance major, and you found it to be wonderfully inspiring, a very formative time in your development as a dancer. But at the same time, you felt completely out of place as a jazz dancer Mm -hmm. in a very modern program, you know, like everything that you'd valued up till that point was suddenly something to be embarrassed about. Mm -hmm. So... For you at that time, what exactly was so different and embarrassing about this jazz dancer body and experience mm-hmm. that you were bringing?
1: Well, it was really the way people responded to it. I mean, I think I was I was exposed to so much as a young person. My parents had a dance studio, and they brought me to New York a lot. And I came to places like Broadway Dance Center, and I, to me it was like the pinnacle of what dance as a profession was and where professional dancers went and and... I just, I was exposed to so much, but I also wasn't exposed to this with, there are many worlds in the the dance world. You know, there are many sides of the dance world and NYU at that time, especially, I can't speak for what it is now, but the students particularly, most of them came from performing arts high schools and they didn't do dance competitions or dance conventions like I did. They didn't really take too much jazz. I mean, they really were there to study modern dance. And so they saw all of these things that I really valued as sort of silly or not important or not not serious. And um, that was really painful because you sort of like all these things that you've been you've built yourself on and that my teachers taught me, you know, my parents taught me that, you know, this is an amazing place. And I, I remember someone saying to me once, like, you know, they're like, oh, well, that's like, like Broadway Dance Center is not a serious dance studio. And now looking back on it, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it's just a completely ridiculous thing. And it's also a, another child speaking to another child. But when you're there, you know, you feel like, well, oh my gosh, it's not, you know, you're, you're alone and I didn't know anyone else there. And I felt really um, like I had to, in some ways I felt like I needed to sort of hide where I came from. But then I think, I don't know, Something in me shifted it, and I did choreograph a piece that first semester that that was pretty jazzy. You know, and you find your people. there were a couple people there that I came from a similar place as me, and I found my tribe, as they say. And I and I before I left the program, I did present a piece of choreography. That I remember it was like very angsty and very, you know, sort of like a Mia Michaels ripoff. and um, and I felt proud of it, and I'm glad that I left on that note as opposed to, you know, because I felt out of place. I think it's important to say that the teachers were very supportive. It was mostly the other students that I I felt sort of separate from. And yeah, I felt like an outsider.
0: You'd mentioned Bea Michaels, and that's someone that you know from your So You Think You Can Mm -hmm. Dance days. And that show is one that incorporates so many facets, so many different Mm -hmm. types of dance. And it's important that these dancers know so much, but you feel like that at that particular time, at that program, that really, if you weren't into modern, then you just weren't serious enough. You weren't good enough. You weren't what a dancer could be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now I think there's even, people use this term commercial dance, which I'm still trying to grapple with understanding. I'm still always grappling with defining style. I think, of course, there are there's a history in, in the, the styles and types of dance, but I think these terms get thrown around a lot. And... Um, So now people say commercial dance and there are actually dance programs, you know, like Pace University has a commercial dance program where people go specifically to learn styles that you would do, you know, on Broadway or in commercials or on television, that sort of thing. But at that time, there wasn't anything really like that. But at NYU at that time, I mean, there was nothing else like that. And I think I didn't really feel like there was a place for me necessarily to go. but eventually, I, you know, moved on, and and it took a while before I really felt like I found a place that I felt like I belonged in the dance world.
0: Yeah, because you left NYU to go out to Los Angeles mm-hmm. for a time, and 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 that's that's where you discovered this commercial dance or whatever, right. whatever that it was meant. like
1: the complete opposite, like the complete opposite of what I experienced at NYU. But even there, I mean, I met really great people, but I still didn't really feel like I belonged there. I remember being at auditions and feeling completely out of place. And, and, not, and I met great people, but I just didn't feel like the community at large. I wasn't really working, I wasn't booking anything. And I sort of felt like, well, there's there a place for me?
0: So you felt different, but did you also feel less than as a dancer?
1: Of course, but I think it's really easy for a dancer to feel that way, like any artist, you know, we all have imposter syndrome, but then when you on top of it, don't feel like you belong in the community, I think yeah, it it's it was tough, but, but so important. When I think back to those periods of time, I'm so grateful for that feeling because I think it formed sort of what I feel like a dance community should offer to dancers, especially in a, in a city like New York.
0: Right, because just recently with this pandemic, you created Moment, mm-hmm. which was a your own kind of version of a dance community or what you thought it mm-hmm. should look like.
1: Yes, yes, yes. My partner and I—he's a graphic designer and, and also a dancer—and we, you know, had talked about working on something together. And I had been feeling for a while like my classes that I was teaching were offering us a, a, a one thing and, and a, a sort of place for people to go. But I felt like I wanted to create something bigger and expand upon. That And give dancers a place to just be together and just dance without any kind of industry component, without any kind of, you know, learning how to book things or get it seen by agents or any of that stuff, just a place for them to be for more than an hour and a half. So we've... Been, we just had our first one in November and we're really looking forward to doing another one but it's a, a basically a three day experience for dancers where they just come and they dance all day and they meet new people and we provide performances and experiences and just space for them to be together adults specifically because I think young people under the age of 18 specifically have a lot of places to go um, you know, to do that sort of thing to be together, to dance, to meet new people but I think once you get out of high school it's harder to find something like that
0: yeah, I think it's so important to kind of have those, uh, you know, like there's these writer retreats, mm-hmm. you can go to band camp, mm-hmm. there, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. different ways of expressing yourself, but in an almost a secluded way so that there aren't eyes watching you, there's no judgments, yes. and you can just be.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, we we encourage people not to have their phones out during the weekend, and no one did. It wasn't even a question. No one took their phone out to film a single class. It was three days of just being able to feel vulnerable and safe, and and I I, you know, I have a lot to say about filming classes and, I, and I, I think it can be super positive in many ways, but it was just really nice to have people just sort of exhale and be together and remember what, what it is they love about dancing. I mean, it's the same thing I was talking about in the injury, just feeling present and feeling in your body and doing that with other people, but doing it for an extended period of time where you really can take it with you at the end of the weekend and you can really make some good memories and, and meet people and form connections.
0: And so what would you say are the one or two things that you learned from not finding it at NYU, this dance community, and not finding it in LA as well, that you now infuse in things like Moment as well as other things that you
1: do? I think that I want dancers to feel like they belong somewhere. I think dance is often treated as such an individualistic art form these days, especially. And I want I want people to feel like they have somewhere to go where they can just be themselves and they can do the thing that they love and they can do it in a positive way. And I think if I hadn't gone through those those moments where I felt really outside of the community, I don't think I would care so much about doing it now and it's selfish too. I love being in rooms like that. I want to create rooms like that and I won't I love being there myself you know and um, yeah it's it feels like a nice a nice purpose.
0: So how do you strike that balance between, especially when you're choreographing, to get dancers to see your vision, go with your vision, and also use their own skills and talents and what they bring to room to also infuse into the piece? How do you balance both?
1: I think it's leading by example. I think it's also just, I've realized that mostly the biggest thing that I can do for people is besides provide a space and and be kind, is see them. It's just make them feel seen in a space. I think once people feel seen, a lot of the rest just unfolds naturally. I mean, these are dancers. they This is what they do. So they don't really need me to tell them how to make something their own. They just need me to let them know that it's okay. And And I think when you feel like someone's watching you in a beautiful way, I think you show up and you do the thing that you love.
0: Yeah, there is that sense of stepping up, owning that space because you're being watched. But then there's that Oh God, of being mm-hmm. watched and the self doubt and yeah, criticism that we of can course. get as well.
1: <laughs> of course, but I mean, I think as a teacher or a director, as as a person who leads rooms, I I try as much as I can to let people know that I have no idea what I'm doing most of the time. I mean, I really just like don't. <laughs> I believe that I can get us to a place and that I can lead, but that doesn't always mean that I know all the answers. And and you know, I try to be as self deprecating as possible as a, as a teacher so that people know that it's okay to not be, you know, this idealized version of who they think they're supposed to be
0: because when you and i worked on annie together it definitely felt like yes you're the director you're in charge but there still was a sense of hey let's work together mm-hmm. and make this happen i i remember there was the song that isn't often in the annie production but you said hey your daddy warbucks let's see if we can do this song mm. and we tried it, it didn't actually work and i thought because you cut it oh my gosh i've failed i've done so you know we mm. we go through this whenever something happens mm. like that but at the same time once the whole show came together, I was like, you're right it just didn't fit and and I realized that you're looking at a much bigger vision whereas all I can see is oh gosh I didn't sing if, that song right I mean, how
1: could anyone not feel that way in that situation <laughs> yeah. you know but you handled it so gracefully and 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 you were magnificent in the production so I appreciate that yes. thank you
0: I know definitely feeling that sense of belonging or not feeling that sense is something that I as a non-dancer have felt. And I'm I'm usually feeling that way. I'm in the back row. Give me the, you know, the lesser <laughs> cut-down version of the dance while everyone <laughs> the else. Mover
1: call. The, mover the mover call, thank call. you.
0: While everyone else is given 110% sure. up front. However, there was the first show that I was cast in once I moved to New York was the producers out in mm-hmm. Long Island. Mm-hmm and for this production for whatever reason they had you know one of those triangle formations yep. during the bavarian number and i was the tip oh, top i, 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 I was the point oh my gosh <laughs> i think because i was the tallest one in the cast, so they just wanted that. and i was like what wait what there's no one in front of me it was so nerve-wracking but at the same time it made me work twice as hard to be like i have to nail this mm. so Yes, there was the nervousness, but there was also that sense of accomplishment. It's like, oh my gosh, I did
1: it. I did it. Well, someone put you there. They believed you could do it. I mean, that's also the thing. Like you were placed there. So someone believed that you were going to be successful. It wasn't me. It wasn't someone else. It often isn't us. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to hear you say, you know, from an actor's point of view, because I often so take for granted that dancers have this place where they go and they take class with lots of other people. And it's like a very... It's just something that you can, I mean, there's, you know, 50 dance classes a day in New York City alone that you can go and you can practice your thing with other people. There's not necessarily like open acting classes and open, I mean, there are, but not in the same sort of organized way and, and plentiful way that we get to just be together and practice. And, um, and I often think, like, it must be really hard as an actor when the only place you're, unless you sign up for an acting class or sign up for a singing class, a group class, that the only place you're seeing people is at auditions. Like, that must be tough.
0: Yeah. In dance, you get that camaraderie. Mm-hmm. You get that, oh, oh, I like the way that you did that. Let me try that. Or Yeah. As, as you say, like, for singers, especially, our Lessons are really Mm one-on-one with us and the coach or the teacher, and it can be very isolating at times. I can
1: imagine, yeah. Very lonely.
0: In addition to the stories shared here in these conversations, there are also bonus episodes where guests, like Al, share memorable audition stories. Al talks about when he was at a dancer call years ago for the Revival National Tour of Sweet Charity. Let's just say that I, as a non-dancer, could definitely relate to this story. And bonus episodes like these are only available to monthly supporters of Why I'll Never Make It. Producing this podcast isn't cheap, and with your help, I can reach a wider audience with more video and transcription options, which would greatly benefit deaf and hard-of-hearing artists, for example. So please consider either a one-time donation or monthly membership, by going to support.winmepodcast.com or click on the link in the show notes. After all of these experiences of teaching, choreographing, directing, there's something that you still struggle with, and, and that is that you have no idea what's going on that mm-hmm. you're not in in control of your mm-hmm. life or, or your own time. And that it's almost like you feel the need to ask theaters, producers, directors for this permission to do what you love. Mm-hmm. And so where do you think that that comes from, that you feel that you still need to ask permission or that you don't feel ownership over
1: it? Well, I think this is something that you've talked about a lot on the show, with, with especially performers, this feeling of, you know, you have to audition and you have to be given a job in order to do this thing that you love. And it is so important to make your own work, but that can be really challenging. But for choreographers, it's the same. It's like, we have to kind of wait around for someone to say, we want you to work on this, especially musical. We want you to work on this musical. We want you to work on this movie. We want, And there are things you can do to try to meet those people, but that can become a full-time job on its own. And I've never been a person that's felt comfortable self-promoting in that way. So of course, I've spent a lot of time now learning how to make my own work and and I've loved doing that. But even that, it's like, I have to come up with everything. I have to come up with where we're gonna do it and how we're gonna do it and who's gonna do it. And now I don't feel as comfortable as I used to, you know, not paying people exactly what they're worth. And, f- you know, I, I, it's like I, the, the period of time of asking for favors feels like it's in the past. And so then you think, well, where am I gonna do this thing that I love doing without someone hiring me to do it? And I don't know, I think you spend a lot of time as a young artist, just proving that you can do something and getting to a certain place. But now it's like, well, what do I do now? I mean, this is going to be continuous. It's, it's so uncertain. It's just always so uncertain, even after a great success there's then this expectation that your phone is gonna start ringing or you're gonna get a bunch of emails. And then when that doesn't happen, then somehow that turns that experience into a failure in some part of your psyche, you know? And it's been a lot of work to know and to teach myself that that's not the truth and that success isn't about what comes from something. Success for me is about what the experience was like in the moment.
0: In a very small way, that's what auditioning is like, especially Mm. for us actors and singers that, for those 90 seconds, five minutes, however long you get, that you, you're you there, you're owning it, and you give it, and then once you leave the room, you have to put it behind you. You may or may not get the callback, you may or may not get the job, but then you're on to the next audition or your next whatever you have. And it, it's almost like you have to kind of partition your day, partition your mm-hmm. life in a way so that one failure or success yes. doesn't just... Snowball.
1: Absolutely, yeah. In the same way, uh, you go to an audition, you do great work, but you don't get the job. You have to teach yourself not to view that as a failure. As a choreographer, you put up a show, you work on a project, it goes great, and then if you don't get another job, that doesn't mean that that experience was a failure. But we've we've it's sim- very similar, and a lot to do with expectations. And as an as a I call myself an adult now loosely, but as an adult, I think that expectations are something that I'm always trying to manage. (laughs) Sort of what I expect someone to is going to, how they're going to react or how I expect something is going to go.
0: Well, I certainly know for myself, I, you know, I've had some of that fear and confusion, frustration, working so hard, uh, you know, accomplishing a lot, but then those times of not accomplishing things and unsure what's next and where to go from here. And even more than that, what does it all mean? What What is what is my purpose? What am I valuing? Are these the kind of questions that you've wrestled with yourself?
1: I think that when I'm in a process, I feel like I know what I'm contributing to something, and I can do my best to facilitate everyone's experience and take care of everyone and make people feel seen and do great work and think about the audience. You know, you, f- you just feel so connected to your purpose so deeply. When I'm not in a process, when I'm on my own, I feel... Obviously, teaching has been a huge part of what I feel like my purpose is. But I don't know. I, it's hard not to think, well, am I going to be still making up combinations for dance class, you know, in 20 years, and 30 years? And I, I, I kind of want to have a sense of what's going to happen then. And I see other people really know what their future is, and they have a, some sort of a plan. And I, I've always loved the thrill of not knowing for a long time but i think now i'm just getting a little bit older and i'm thinking well what do i really want and how can i be a little bit a little bit more in control of where (laughs) things are going well yeah and of course of course covid you know has brought a lot of this to the surface and that's part of why i'm asking these questions
0: yeah because i know when i first moved to new york there was that sense of excitement of like it it, it, everything was just open to me and Mm -hmm. in anything could happen or nothing could happen, I was ready. Mm. But yeah, it may not just be getting older, but also the longer you're in one place, doing one thing, then you need different things to keep you stimulated, to keep you fulfilled in that. Are you finding that you're having to find different things to kind of get that same
1: thrill, so to speak? I think I've realized that, you know, you work on a few musicals and it's like, okay, I know what that is kind of like now. And so my my willingness to do them has shifted in the sense that yeah, I really need to be excited about it. I mean, and that's a very privileged position to be in. I I recognize. So I've just gained that information, like, okay. And and also I know questions to ask that I didn't know to ask before based on just experiences that I've had. Right. So there's there's that. I still feel very stimulated and very inspired by what I'm doing and by dance and story and music and and being in New York, I still feel very inspired here. I think a lot of what I'm going through is feeling like I want to be more responsible and not just for myself, but for the, my family and for you know my future. I wanna feel a little bit more like I'm in a position where I can take care of the people that I love and this lifestyle up to this point of just sort of being like, well, whatever, maybe I'll go here, maybe I'll do that and I can do this if there's no money involved and like I don't feel quite as able more uh, in my conscience to 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 live that way. So I think that there's that as well. And I think the part of the experience of lockdown and, and COVID was like, what kind of a position am I am I really in? You know, I can look six months down the line, but I can't look a year. And that's f- in order to to take care of the people I love and be a good son and a good partner and a good brother and a good friend. I want to be able to do that.
0: You had mentioned that there are questions that you now know to ask or didn't ask before, what are those things that you now know that you didn't before?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think, well, it really it, we can start simple and just not only like, where am I staying? Where is the cast staying? What is the, the staffing like on a project? Things that I just never really thought, you know, you just always assume that you're going to be really well taken care of anywhere you go. And I've had mostly amazing experiences. And honestly, I've worked with wonderful theaters and I feel so... Grateful, and I don't have any like nightmare stories. I just, I also, if I'm gonna go and live somewhere for eight weeks, ten weeks, I want to know what that lifestyle is gonna be like. I want to know, you know, what kind of a place I'm gonna be in. I just am not as willing to just disappear and not know what I'm going into for an extended period of time um, than I than I used to be. You know, before it was like I'll sleep in the in the trunk. Like I'm just so happy to be doing what I love. But then it extends to, well, is everyone in the cast being taken care of? And also, what is the director like? What are, you know, what is the team like? Are we going to have a fruitful, you know, collaborative, wonderful conversation in the piece? I think before it was like I would go into meetings just so happy to be in the meeting that I would think about, like, I just want to get this job, right? Like, that's all you're thinking. I just want to get this job. Whereas now I'm in a conversation. It's like, I actually want to get to know this person and figure out if this is going to be a good relationship.
0: And speaking of relationship, you are often choreographer working with another director, Mm -hmm. but then there are those times where you are the director. Mm -hmm. How is that relationship different when it's someone else versus yourself?
1: I love doing both, and I think a lot of people assumed that I... Well, a lot of people tell you a lot of things about your career. I don't know if they do this for you, but people love to tell me, oh, it's so tough. They just love telling me what I'm going to be doing and what my potential is and all these things, which is it's always very sweet and generous. But it can be hard because those voices are hard to not hear. So so when I started directing, it was like, well, you know, you're not going to want to go back to being just a choreographer, just a choreographer, first of all, not just a choreographer, being a choreographer. <laughs> Um, But I I still love it, and I love working with directors, and I love being on a team, and I love collaborating. I love all of those things. But as a director, it's very exciting for me to work with a design team and and to have that kind of a collaboration. And to be able to, honestly, to be able to choose who you're working with is the biggest, most delightful thing, I think, about being a director. If you're fortunate enough to be able to hire your team and choose your team is so exciting. Like who's going to be the costume designer? Who's going to be the music director? Who's going to be the set designer? Who's going to be the lighting designer? And how do you, I mean, I think putting people together is like the, one of the things I love the most. But but I love doing both. I would also assist again. Like I, if it's the right situation and the right people, I'm totally willing. I also love being told what to do. So, like, <laughs> you know, or like being led. I love, I love having a strong leader and and trying to do a good job for that person is a comfortable space for me to be in. Maybe it's because I went to Catholic school. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And so,
0: you know, going from dancer to choreographer to now director, has it felt like a natural progression? Have you felt that sense of belonging? Like, I'm supposed to be here now. I'm supposed to be in this place.
1: I think every of, each of the times I've been in a role like that, it's felt like, yeah, it's felt right. And I don't think I would have Said yes to those experiences if it if it hadn't felt right and I I guess what I'm trying to say what I'm realizing in speaking to you is just that I I've enjoyed all sides of it.
0: Yeah, it depends on the project itself. On the project. Yeah. 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 Now, have you had doubts about the choices that you've made? We, we've talked about how our priorities change, and so have there been those times when you've doubted, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this, or maybe I needed
1: to do something else. Of course, you you rewind and you look and you think. Well, maybe if I had said yes and maybe if I had assisted longer or maybe if I had done, you know, but, but then I look at the things that I've experienced and I wouldn't want to undo any of them. So it's twofold, you know, even going through this moment of being injured and feeling sort of a bit deflated, I know that this is, I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I believe that. And I made those decisions along the way, honestly. I think I've always been really honest with myself about how I'm feeling. And so I wouldn't undo any of it.
0: There's that classic question of, you know, when you die, what do you want written on your tombstone? Have you figured out what it is you you want to be remembered for?
1: He brought people together. Yeah, it's easy. (laughs) <laughs> Normally, questions like that are so like, I, but that one is pretty easy. I can see it. I see the tombstone. <laughs> well,
0: especially now with this entry, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm just one step away. Um, but uh, but no, I think it's wonderful that you're able to answer it so quickly like that, because I, I know for myself, that's a question that is more of an ellipse right now mm. than a definitive statement. Mm. So it's definitely one that can change over time, but mm-hmm. also one that
1: can be a big question mark. And that's a good point. It, it can also ch- definitely change. And if I you'd asked me that five years ago, you know, I mean, who knows what it'll be in another five years. But right now, that's what it feels like.
0: After the interview, Al and I kept talking about his work as a director and choreographer, and he started telling me about a show he actually created called Freddy Falls in Love. In 2019, this dance production was presented at the famous Joyce Theater here in New York City.
1: Probably, you know, the most exciting, one of the most exciting moments of my career, for sure. Because it was something that was incredibly personal. I had directed, I wrote it. It was something that I felt like was really, um, I felt like a representation of m- me and it was a big deal. It was a big deal to have somewhere like the Joyce that I grew up going to see dance companies perform want the work. So it felt like a huge yes from the universe.
0: However, the New York Times had a very different opinion about this show, calling it a frothy and meandering production, among other things. Al admitted to me that he hasn't really spoken publicly about this negative review and how it just cut him to the core. But in a special conversation, he opens up about this devastation he felt from that review, offering heartfelt candor and insight into how he handled such a public rejection. Again, go to support.winmepodcast.com to get access to this bonus episode and more. Well, this has been a joy to talk to you and kind of reminisce on these things in your life. And so I really appreciate you being open and sharing them.
1: Yeah, thank you for making the space and for doing such great things for for so many of us. It's really wonderful to hear other people talk about things that they've gone through and, and realize that they're not alone.
0: Why I'll Never Make It is a Win Me Media production. And I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Background music featured in this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It.